It's March the 3rd, 2021. This is 508, a show about Worcester. I'm Brendan Mellican. And I'm Mike Benedetti. And here is Worcester in 60 seconds. Statewide, we're back in COVID reopening phase three, step two this week, the most open we've been since early December. Most indoor activities are now open with a capacity limit of 50% and no more than 500 people. Trampoline joints, gyms, libraries, museums, and offices will be opening this week. Restaurants have no capacity limit. Best case will be at phase four, step one on March the 22nd. This is called the new normal in last spring's reopening plan. That means arenas would reopen at 12% capacity. It also means some things I don't understand. There's something about indoor spaces having 100 people, although the thing about them having 500 people this week makes me think maybe this is just part of our chaotic regulatory regime. Uh, Phase four, step two will happen at any moment to be named later, assuming that uh, things don't move in a bad direction or too bad of a direction in the meantime. 0.8% of Massachusetts residents have COVID-19. 18.8% have had at least one vaccine dose. Becker College might close due to the impact of COVID on their business. The Worcester Paw Sox will likely play their first game of the season in early May and their first game at Polar Park later in May. Following up on last year's state police reform bill, City Manager Ed Augustus has proposed some changes in Worcester around racism and policing, both including removing police from the public schools, a plan the city council endorsed yesterday. A lot of stuff's happened in the last two and a half months, Brendan. We got a lot of catching up to do, brother. For me, the big catching up I have to do, I guess, is twofold. One is that keeping up with the news has been hard. The state's COVID press releases, which is the main news I want to keep up with, are very frustrating for me to find slash read. And then the TV's daily news email is terrible. I kind of feel like I just have to switch over to all mass live all the time because the Telegram does not want me to know about Worcester News, I guess. I guess in the same vein, I've kind of pulled away from social media a bit so far this year. And um, finding that it's it's I'm the delay that I I have in, in seeing anything that I would otherwise find extremely interesting. Uh, has grown exponentially. I, 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 I guess I'm, I'm a little bummed out to realize the uh, the reliance I had on other people sharing news as opposed to uh, it actually being delivered via algorithm uh, safely into my hands. Yeah. Nassim Taleb always talks about not paying attention to the news and assuming that if you go to interesting enough parties, somebody will tell you anything that you need to mm-hmm. know. They'll, they'll mention the story to you that you can then read up on by yourself. Um, yep. One thing I realized the last couple of months not being so tied into the news is that I want to be one of those people who tells Nassim Taleb what he should care about. <laughs> and in order to do that, I have to read the news. But and you also have to be able to go to parties. My big news of the last two and a half months, man, is a post-COVID imagination deficit. Um, I got my <laughs> second vaccine shot a couple of weeks ago. I've been thinking, what do I want to do now? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For months and months when when all this was first happening, I thought, well, we're a month away. Well, we're six weeks away from all this wrapping up. And now my brain is like, this is how you're going to live the rest of your life, Michael. You're never going to leave your house. You're never going to do anything interesting ever again. Eventually, I will break through it. But right now, I really am having a tough time. I can think of activities to do, but I can't really feel like I want to do those activities. Part of me is really holding back. There's a uh, there's obviously a lot to unpack there, but I mean the, the the things that I think are important are one it's still you know 20 degrees outside uh, in New England as we're talking, so um, 
limited uh, by weather in terms of, I think, even our eagerness to do anything beyond uh, staying in bed. I was listening to uh, some researchers talk a couple backs, a couple weeks back on a podcast about the impact that fear uh, has long-term on kind of like training ourselves to act and react in certain ways, specifically around COVID. And it's, you know, even if you were the biggest COVID denier on the planet, like you still retrained your brain in a certain way to be fearful of certain actions that you otherwise wouldn't have been pre-COVID. Yeah. And that the, re, the retraining of the retraining, I think, is going to be the big challenge for folks uh, going into the next year, going into 2022, it is really just rethinking what it means to do anything without being fearful that the person standing next to you is inadvertently trying to kill you. And that's a, that's a big thing to jump. That's a big hoop to jump through, right? It's um, we're not always great in terms of our ability to process, uh, you know, risk reward sort of algorithms uh, in real time, especially when it comes to new things, we tend to be really fearful of new things. Um, this pandemic was obviously a pretty new thing and, and mostly unexpected. Uh, and yeah, I think it's going to, it's going to be a real challenge to, like you said, you have this list of all these things in the way back of your head that you'd like to be doing, but taking the steps to actually do them is going to be, uh, is going to be interesting to, to, to see how people manage that on a personal and group level. I think of it a, a lot in terms of the business, you know, I'm starting to rethink, uh, reopening the ice cream shop. And a big part of me is trying to work through you know, what are, what are my customers' comfort levels in terms of coming back out into a social setting? Vaccinated or not, uh, masked up, wrapped in bubble wrap, it doesn't matter. Like, after a year away from um, that sort of casual social setting or just the simple act of walking into, you know, a, a retail establishment or a restaurant or whatnot, um, it's going to be a big change for people to, to get back into the swing of. And I think it's going to take more time than we are, are giving our economy credit for uh, being able to handle right now. Part of that getting back in the swing of things is that it's not just about the individual's comfort level, right? It's not just about my comfort level, what I'm comfortable doing. It's also about what my loved ones are comfortable with me doing and still being comfortable with coming into unprotected contact with me, you know? Sure. We don't always agree on the risk level. I think by and large, their assessments have been pretty reasonable throughout this time. And in some cases, their assessments have been reason more reasonable than mine. Mostly what I read of news these days, honestly, is preprints about COVID-19 research. And, you know, my, my take on it these days is that if you've been vaccinated, if you've had, you know, a couple of doses of whatever vaccine, even if you just had one, um, it's about as protective of you as wearing a well-fitting N95 mask. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're, if you're wearing, if you've been vaccinated and you're wearing a well-fitting N95 mask, you know, you're putting a hat on a hat, you're putting a mask on a mask, you're even, you're even better. You know, you cut your risk down from whatever, 90% down to 1%. You and I have talked about a little bit, I guess, about do we want to do the show in person in the same room again? Does that feel safe or not? And it feels safe to me because it would feel like, you know, I've, I've had a couple of doses. I think you've had at least one. And yep. so it would feel to me like whatever activity we're doing, even without masks, we're as protected as having masks on. But it's a question of like convincing other people based on what's honestly still pretty limited experimental evidence that they should be taking that kind of risk. Right. That seems to be the one big unknown with uh, vaccinated individuals is whether or not they retain the ability to spread uh, disease. Um, yeah. 
I think it's 80 to 90% effective against infection. That's just my, just the, the, all the studies I've seen the last couple of weeks, that's what it looks like. But again, infection, gonna, but not, not being a carrier is the way I keep interpreting a oh, lot of those no, reports. No, 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 we're talking about, we're talking about even being a carrier, like infection, oh, interesting. Okay. even asymptotic, even asymptotic of infection that you're 80 to 90% protected. Probably if you've had a vaccine, you know, that that's just based on like, they give people vaccines, some people they don't, and then they test everybody on a certain day. And the people who had the vaccines, you know, 10 times more of them are negative than the unvaccinated group, which meaning that sure. well, you're 90% protected or whatever. How yeah. you, you, you've, you've, um, what do I want to say? A couple of weeks ago, before I had had all my shots, I was keenly interested in the vaccination situation in, in Massachusetts. And since then, I've become less interested. But you've been involved somewhat in helping people get vaccinated or talking to people about it or whatever. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I was just securing uh, vaccines for old folks <laughs> who are having a hard time with the technology the state is using, which there is absolutely no other way to frame it other than the the framework that the state has been using to get people registered for vaccine appointments is absolutely atrocious. Um, it makes buying, you know, concert or sports tickets uh, look like an easy task that you can take your time uh, playing through. Um, so, yeah, I, it, starting with my mother, it actually started with myself. It was, you know, I fit into some of the comorbidity cap, ca uh, categories for the most recent phase of phase two, whatever. Um, so I, I secured a, a, an appointment for myself and I found it to be no problem at all. And then, you know, come to find out my mother, uh, it, it all, it, it was looking like I was going to get vaccinated before my elderly mother, which like literally obviously broke my heart and it wasn't for lack of trying. It was just, you know, she wasn't able to get through the system, um, that the way it was designed. And, uh, yeah, so I just, I, I started reaching out to, uh, elderly neighbors and, you know, friends in, uh, in my universe, as well as, uh, younger friends with comorbidities that, uh, met the state's or CDC guidelines and, uh, just started helping secure appointments. And I, it was fun. I actually kind of, in my head, it, I kind of gamified the whole thing and <laughs> just found massive amounts of pleasure every time I could uh, secure somebody an appointment, a lot of driving for some people, cause there were no guarantees on where you were going to get your appointment, but, uh, oh. all worked out in the end. Yeah. It was kind of a fun experience. And then last week, the state changed the uh, the way the website works and the method I was using for getting people appointments uh, stopped functioning. And just to be clear, I wasn't like breaking any rules or what have you. I was just using a very simple system of taking a, um, uh, you know, form fill extension for C Google Chrome, uh, you know, entering in uh, an individual's personal data that would be required throughout the five, you know, step process of registering for an appointment. Uh, so when a, when a single appointment became available, you could race through that uh, form uh, fill tree as quickly as humanly possible. And if you're a luck, lucky beat, you know, all the other nerds that were trying to do the same thing for, for their friends and family. Yeah. You know, um, it's kind of weird talking about vaccination just because sometimes it involves us talking more about our lives and health issues uh, than sure. we might otherwise want to. But um just in thinking about in thinking about yeah people people who are in way lower risk categories such as I think you and me getting vaccinated before people who are in way higher risk categories it kind of reminds me of um, I think it was Confucius who had advice in his ethical framework for people saying so let's let's say that you're appointed a judge by an evil and corrupt ruler how do you deal with that 
you know, Confucius was real interested in these like practical situations um, mm-hmm. you know, ra- rather than saying like, well, you should just quit and not do it saying, you know, there's always compromise. So how do you compromise in an ethical way? I kind of, I haven't seen anybody really given detailed advice on this in the present moment, but it feels like a similar thing to me, you know, where it's like, all right, like, let's say you're offered a vaccine and you don't think that you particularly should be the priority person for the vaccine. But as in my case, you look at the line behind you and you say, none of these other people (laughs) should be either. Like if I, you know, it's just a long line of people who are not, who are not priority people. It's not clear to me that like all I would be doing is anything other than slowing down the process. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean, that's weird, kind of the... It's a, sorry, ethical, it's a weird ethical conundrum and a year of weird ethical conundrums. Why do they keep coming up? I, you know, I, I have to assume, I, it, I'll, I'll respond to you in, in two parts, I guess. One, you know, it, it kind of scares me to think that there, have to, there has to be large groups of professional elite epidemiologists that had given lots of thought how to work mass vaccination programs uh, over the years like i can't imagine that this is the that 2020 was the first time anyone had to think about vaccines and assuming that's the case i then also have to assume that the reason you know those epidemiologists aren't taking their master plans and rolling them out is because you know hired guns and consultants are being brought into the room and shouting them down uh in big government owned conference rooms um for mostly probably for political and optics reasons. Uh, that said, I, I guess I kind of came to the same conclusion you did in a roundabout way when I decided to um, book my own appointment. It was, you know, it's for me, it's, 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 you know, the majority of my adult life as a smoker and uh, significant asthma is what um, allowed me, is what the comorbidities that put me in play there. Could I make an argument that there are elderly folks who uh, are still more likely to get sick? Absolutely, because I'm, I'm actually in really good health aside from those things. But at the end of the day, the goal is, I believe, uh, needles and arms from a, uh, a, a, a global vaccination perspective. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know that in the short term, the sort of means testing that we're doing has any real impact on uh, bringing spread to a minimum. Or, or a decreasing spread in a meaningful way if we're being hyper-selective about who's getting vac- vaccinated, um, especially where, where community spread is concerned. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, me, a, a yeah. lot of the f- folks that I, uh, especially elderly folks that I was helping out get vaccines, you know, they still have zero plans, and, and not just in the near term, but long term, in terms of changing their lifestyles that have altered significantly over the last year that's not a knock. I give them credit for that. Not just, you know, running out, jumping into the deep end of the pool right away because someone stuck a needle in their arm. The the flip side of that though, is there are a lot of folks that are uh, either working uh, in relatively unsafe environments because they're not yet vaccinated and won't be for some time. um, Or just, you know, by by nature of of lifestyle are, are, are forced to spend their time in places and in ways where they're more likely to participate in unintended community spread. And yeah, again, I, again, I, I'm not an epidemi- epidemiologist. Maybe this is exactly how it's supposed to go. But uh, as a self-described moron, it strikes me as really dumb the way we're <laughs> handling the rollout. <laughs> well, for me, the gold standard on these things is always, of course, the movie Contagion, mostly because of my esteem for the director, <laughs> yeah. Steven Soderbergh. And in Contagion, you know, so many things in Contagion go exactly how COVID-19 went, it's, which is why it's such a creepy movie to watch, especially a year ago. 
yeah. you know, luckily the, the disease and contagion is way more deadly than COVID-19. And so we're better on that front. The, the one part where I think life has diverged is in the vaccination plan, which in contagion is just, there's a birthday lottery and, yeah. you know, every day as the vaccination goes forward, it's like, well, today is people born February 16th and tomorrow is people born November the 45th and whatever, you know, you just, you just draw some lottery balls out of a machine and figure out what order the birthdays are in. It seems like yeah. COVID is, is kind of a, would, would be kind of an obvious one to say, well, for the next two days, it's people who are 89. And then for the next two days, also people who are 88. And then if you just went down through that way, you would still, you would vaccinate more people faster. You'd hit, if not all the highest risk people, a lot of high risk people. And that yeah. by trying to, you know, by making things complicated, I feel like you're actually not helping a lot of the people that you would like to help, whether it's, you know, communities of color or whether it's the elderly or whether it's whoever that, you know, you're just slowing things down for everybody. You get a lot more of those folks vaccinated by having a simpler system, but you know, I'm not dealing with the real world. Um, it's just funny to me that contagion that, that that's the point where it diverges from reality is a year into our pandemic. Suddenly we're not following that game plan anymore. Yeah, no, I, it's funny. I did almost why. So it's been almost, it'll be a year this month that I first, uh, that I, I rewatched contagion for the first time in a decade. The, um, I, I think that's just it though, is, is, you know, even if it was a simple change in people as opposed to racing because you heard through the grapevine that there was an opening uh somewhere um just having a pre-registration system uh that then ticked people off you know via lottery uh as openings became available and you know it, i i know it to be the case that a lot of folks that were doing what i was doing in terms of helping others you might be securing multiple that multiple appointments for a single individual availability was like their their comfort level of say going to Fenway Park versus holding out for the Worcester Senior Center um so then walking them through the process of canceling any extra appointments after the fact but at least a moment in time like I, I was you know managing appointments for like a dozen people at any moment in time and there so you, you can imagine that there's an order of magnitude of, of appointments that are all taken offline by virtue of them just using a really terrible system that like i said earlier is almost gamified you know and almost incentivized the idea of uh boxing other people out so you could uh secure a, an appointment yourself there are also just lots of other weird tech tech hurdles as well too that you know are things that i think we we've put to bed uh you know in a in a in a retail side or a transactional side you know probably a decade ago um inventory management was just really weird in terms of how many people they were letting into the system um, but it, it also didn't seem to be tracking, like at, at no point in time did I ever get notification saying, Hey, like you seem to be registering for an awful lot of appointments here from the same IP address, just little hurdles that you, you, you would assume that, um, you know, Amazon probably has already figured that out. And I, I, I like to think that that's still the gold standard for any sort of transaction online, right? It's like making it so hard to say no, that, uh, your buyer's remorse, uh, doesn't even have time to set in. Uh, in any meaningful timeline after your transaction is complete. The only vaccination story I really have, and I'll, I'll switch to a different topic after telling this story, is of a friend of mine um, who uh, was minding his own business, walking down a city street, happened to be walking by one of the smaller uh, immunization sites in the city, vaccination sites in the city, and somebody came out and was like, hey, we, we got some go, uh, extra doses that are going to go bad. 
you want to get jabbed? And said, sure, yep. walked in, got his shot, and there it was. And I'm glad that they're doing that. I'm glad they're not letting, you know, obviously letting doses go to waste, that they are just mm-hmm. grabbing them off the street if they have to. The fact that I, the fact that enough people apparently are in that category that I know one of them is, is weird. It's just, again, just weird to me that, you know. Yeah, I don't want to carry the conversation on any longer than you intended, Like, but that, I, I know multiple people who had that experience, some of whom in small towns out in Western Mass, where they just decided to sit in a parking lot of a vaccination site uh, all day long. And then at the end of the day, you know, nurses would just come outside looking around to see if anyone was loitering and offer them uh, vaccines. And those were people that in all likelihood wouldn't be vaccinated towards the tail end of, uh, you know, the the, the open market side of uh, adult vaccination. Um, but it, a lot of those stories are also what led me to my own personal conclusion that uh, the sooner the better, uh, regardless of really where you, where you stood in, in line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll say that. Yeah, that anything that increases throughput, I'm almost not. Yeah, I, I would like to see more people who are at high risk, you know, for whatever reason, get vaccinated. But yeah, at the end of the day, sheer numbers makes up for a lot. So yeah. I can't I can't complain about the details too much, I guess. Um, so I was real surprised to see the city manager making proposals involving both the police and race stuff, which went beyond like appointing a blue ribbon panel or hiring a staff person or something like that, which are things that I feel like statistically are not that effective, but they're also easy to do. Like, like getting like him saying like, all right, we're getting the cops out of schools was a real, was a real surprise to me. Um, I, I did. I would not have thought that there would be that level of like uh, support, political support in the city for a move like that. That the city manager would just do it. Um, yeah. Can you explain? I, I was a little surprised. I was a little surprised as well. So I should be surprised. Okay. All right. No, I, I think it's fair to be. To be. I mean, it's. Um, yeah. At the. Yeah. I. I. I I'm, I'm happy it happened. I, I. I think the idea of of over policing schools is obviously, obviously from my perspective, silly. Um, and should never have been a, uh, a supported trend in the first place. But it, uh, I, I, yeah, I was, I was a little surprised that the manager took those steps in, in, in a somewhat unexpected fashion, I guess, too. It wasn't like there was massive, there has been massive public outcry over that issue, but there wasn't massive public outcry over that issue uh, directed at the city manager in the timeline in which he released that proposal, which was also kind of sweeping, too, because it, it, it spoke a lot to things like, um, you know, limiting the police department's ability to uh, implement new technologies without public input and whatnot. Uh, some really good stuff that um, I think, whether the manager realizes or not, it stands to put Worcester a bit on um, on the map in terms of how these discussions can and probably should play out in a public way without uh, everyone seeming like they're attacking each other. Um, there, I, I think there, there are. You'd be hard pressed to find technologists, right? That, uh, or, or even philosophers that looked at at where technology in, say, law enforcement or military or the intersection between the two is currently headed, and aren't at least a little bit concerned about the decisions we're making as, as a society. Well, Brendan, now I want to talk about some of our weekly statistics we like to cover. In commodities news, Brent crude oil is $64 a barrel, down 4% on the week and up 1% on the year, and up a third since we last talked about it in October. Bitcoin is $52,476, up 
7% on the week and up 500% on the year and up five times since we talked about it in October. Today's Worcester Air Quality Index is 38 due to small particles, well within the good range. Brendan, it's been good talking to you. We should do these shows more often. It was fantastic, brother. I miss talking to you. We'll, uh, we'll have to do it in person one of these days. That's all for this week's 508. We welcome your questions and comments at pieandcoffee at gmail.com. Till next week, remember, Worcester, you can bench more than you think you can.